Hi, I'm Shay, and welcome to Kombucha and Color. Kombucha and Color is a weekly podcast hosted by me, Shay Dyer, a yoga teacher and creative graphic designer, and Anna Marsh, a functional medicine practitioner and women's health coach with a love of all things health and fitness. This podcast is here to inspire women to embrace health and live life bright. You can find more about me, Shay, at shaydyer.com. You can find out more about me, Anna, at annamarshnutrition.co.uk. And each week we will be bringing you inspiring content for a healthier and happier mind, body, heart, and soul. Last year, I dropped deeper and deeper into my purpose of helping women shed unhelpful layers turn inwards and take ownership of their lives in order to access their fullest, most vibrant potential. In this time, I have been creating an immersion that offers exactly that, through a completely unique blend of tools, skills and practices, from yoga, breathwork and the body, to self-inquiry, emotional process work and intuitive and creative art-based explorations, so that understanding and spiritual growth is deeply integrated through a variety of modalities and is fully embodied. I'd love to invite you to the first ever Voyage to the Soul four-day immersion taking place in Norfolk, UK from the 24th to the 27th of April 2020. If you'd like further info on this immersion and how you can join us, please contact me, Shay, through the contact page on shaydaya.com, linked in the show notes. Hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Kombucha and Color. And welcome if you are joining us for the first time. It's lovely to have you. My name is Shay, and I have with me Anna today. And she is going to be kind of catching us up with all the information and sort of things that she learned on this conference that she went to all about pain and chronic fatigue. So that is the plan for today's podcast. I have done no preparation. It's all going to be Anna. So Anna, first of all, how are you doing today? Yeah, no, I'm good. Thanks. Recently on the show, we've done a lot of like catch up chats, been talking a lot more, I guess, along the spiritual side of things, the yoga side of things, the energetic, the mindset side of things. So I thought it was time just to bring us back down to ground with some good hard science. And <laughs> yeah, this, some science. And at this point in time, like half the listeners are probably just going to like Okay, fast forward, switch to the next <laughs> podcast, but I would really love it if you could stay with us today because this stuff makes my heart happy. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but and I do you know, just, <laughs> what do you think you say? say that before we got onto this podcast, Anna was saying she's going to give all the science and all the stuff and all the information, and it's going to maybe be a little bit overwhelming for people. So Shay, your job is to make sure that people don't get overwhelmed. <laughs> well, so I there think, I am. <laughs> so here she is taking one for the team. But I think the thing with talking about some of the stuff is that yesterday I was talking with Dr. Lacey Chittle, who we've had on the show before. I think it was like episode 29. It was, it was almost a year ago now we recorded a podcast together. And she has been helping me through my healing adventure. And she also has a very empowering story about how she's overcome some you know, very extreme health issues, chronic fatigue being one of them. And we were just having a friendly catch-up chat because we're also good friends. And she was saying to me, people, need to know people need to know that like chronic fatigue is not a lifelong condition that you are stuck with but there is so much that you can do to help yourself to be well and to live a fulfilling healthy life and yeah maybe you do have to wrap your head around some of the boring sciencey stuff 
But this is what I'm so passionate about is sharing this information because people really need to know so they can be empowered to help themselves. And your responsibility, Shay, in all of this is to actually help people understand. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. So So Anna, you lay on the science and Shay will interpret for everybody. Yeah, or or basically (laughs) just tell me when I've gone way too far and I need to to rein it in. Rein it in. (laughs) Where I'd actually love to kick off was last year we did a series on energy. So you can search through it through the episodes. I can't remember exactly where it was, maybe about episode 30-ish or so. And we did a three-part series on energy where I went through different things we want to look at when we're looking at energy. And I talked a little bit about the importance of making sure you're just eating enough, you know, simple things, making sure that our blood sugar is well-regulated, that you're getting enough sleep, that you are making sure that you are getting enough of your micronutrients specifically when we're looking at red blood cells, B12, which can be low in a vegan or vegetarian diet, folates and iron. Also looking at hormonal balance, and we talked a little bit about detoxification and mitochondrial health, and we've talked about sex hormones in the past. So really, when we're looking at this concept of pain and chronic fatigue, What I love so much about this work is that it encompasses all aspects of functional medicine because there may be different reasons why someone is experiencing pain and fatigue, but we kind of have to look, you know, open up all these little boxes and look at all these different systems and how they interrelate. And I know for some people that's very overwhelming. I've just like rattled off a whole list of stuff and people must be thinking, whoa, that's a lot already. We're only like five minutes into the show. (laughs) But I also think it's so exciting because it gives you the opportunity to understand that there's so much we can be doing to help ourselves. And even with the chronic fatigue and pain that I was experiencing at the beginning of the year, I've been in this industry working in this capacity for 10 years and I still had my blind spots. So the first message that I just want to give out is that if this is something that you're struggling with, whether it's chronic pain or chronic fatigue or a combination of both, that there's more you can be doing to help yourself if that's what you want to do. So can I just, before we dive into all of this, how would you classify or what would be the signals and symptoms of somebody who's experiencing chronic fatigue? Because I think that there can be a tendency for people to feel tired because they haven't slept well, all these like little environmental triggers, and then that just becomes their new normal. How do you distinguish or how do you differentiate to somebody who's listening who may think, I'm not sure if I'm chronically fatigued or not because I'm just generally a bit tired, but it could just be life. Mm. What's the difference or how do you classify that? Yeah. And I think that's a very good question because when I'm working with someone, that's the first thing I rule out. It's like, are you tired just because you're not sleeping enough? Or are you tired because you're so busy and you just need to take a step back from life? And then that could also hint towards some imbalance with um, the adrenal glands. Sorry, I think my cat has just decided to come visit <laughs> and scratch around in the background. So if you hear those noises, that's what it is. Or is there something else going on? So when I eventually ended up going to the doctor, I went onto the NHS website and that might be a good resource for people to refer to. I can put a link in the show notes, but they have a certain list of criteria which you can look through. And I think I had almost every one of those symptoms, bar maybe one or two. But I think the general... The criteria is that these things have been persistent over an extended period of time and they haven't got better even when, you know, there've been periods of rest or, you know, 
improve stress management or the other things that people may try. The other thing to say is that chronic fatigue is such a vague thing because mm. there's so many things that can cause fatigue. Like I listed all those things in the beginning. And so very often it's difficult to get a diagnosis because you're basically jumping through hoops to rule out, is it a thyroid thing? Is it a micronutrient thing? Your doctor's going to want to rule out all the other possibilities. And then when they've exhausted those possibilities, they may say, okay, you've got chronic fatigue. And so that was actually why I never went down the route of getting a diagnosis because I was like, I'm tired already. I don't want to jump through all these hoops, go to all these appointments, go to all these blood tests for then someone to say, oh yes, what you thought it was, it actually is now. And But there's actually nothing we can do about it because that would have probably been the model of care I would have received. So for me, it was very much about just taking ownership and responsibility for my health to make the changes that I could make. And that's essentially what this podcast is about, is helping people to see and understand so they can see possibility to make some change. Does that answer your question? Totally. Perfect. We're with you. The lay people are with you. (laughs) Yeah. So what I want to share actually today is because one of my clients I'm working with at the moment who was experiencing recurrent migraines, feeling very tired in the afternoon. So waking up feeling okay, but by the afternoon time, if she'd been at her desk and doing a lot of work for a long period of time, she'd sometimes feel really, really low and just need to go lie down for the rest of the day. And then also suffering from a lot of neck and shoulder tension. And I've only been working with her a couple of weeks and we actually started her now on a gluten-free diet. There were some hints in her health history that gluten may be an issue for her. And I said to her, let's try you on a gluten-free diet amongst other recommendations obviously, and just see how you go. It was her birthday over the weekend and she was away celebrating her birthday and she did have, I guess, less optimal food choices over the weekend. And she messaged me and she said, my neck and my shoulders are so sore this week and I haven't even been working that hard. I haven't been to the gym. I don't know why I'm in so much pain. And this was my experience as well as I used to have chronic pain through my upper back, my neck and my shoulders. And I always just thought, oh, that's from me sitting at my desk a lot, or that's from me working out too hard in the gym, doing my upper body and whatnot. And I had never really put it down to inflammation and an immune response. So the first point I just wanted to highlight is that pain is actually associated with the immune system. And in part, it can also be neurodegeneration, which is really scary. Because if I think about myself and this client I'm working with as well, we're both in our early 30s. Well, I'm turning 35 next month, so I can't really call it early 30s anymore. I'm still calling it early 30s. Um, So we're both... Yeah, but also when these problems started for me that I was in my early 30s. And if you think about it, I'm in my early 30s and I'm experiencing this pain, which is associated with neurodegeneration. That's really, really scary. So in a way, I mean, I don't want to scare people because this is about living your life right (laughs) and inspiring you. But sometimes we also need to really understand some truths because with that information, it can create inspiration to live better and create changes. So when we're talking about pain being associated with the immune system, what essentially it all boils down to is inflammation, which is an immune response in the body which has become chronic. So pain is associated with chronic inflammation in the body. So we then have to start asking these questions about, well, where is this inflammation coming from and how do we dampen it? What do we actually do about it so that we are 
less inflamed. Can I ask, is all pain associated with neurodegeneration or is it only some pain that is internal? Like say you have run a marathon and you have a sore knee, is that the same kind of pain as, oh, just suddenly it's some unexplained pain that appears in the body? So pain is an immune response to a certain extent and immune responses can be acute, which means they can be short term or they can be chronic when their response is sustained. So in the case of an acute response, an acute immune response, which is experienced as knee pain after running a marathon, that's actually a very, very necessary part of your healing process because the pain is saying to you, don't go run another marathon tomorrow. Rest your knee, love your knee, give your knee what it needs so that it can heal. And then you do, you rest, you eat a good diet, you do your stretches, you know, you do the different things that you would do for your knee. And over time, the tissue changes, the inflammatory response subsides, and you continue with your life. What usually happens is the moment the immune system turns on in an acute response, it also begins to turn itself off. So there's signaling which happens to turn the immune system on and at the same time there's signaling that happens to turn the immune system off. We also want to be making sure that we are supporting the immune system to turn off by removing the stimulus. So in the case specifically of a marathon, the stimulus is you know, the physical impact on your knee. But in the case of maybe somebody who gets an infection, maybe to remove the stimulus, they have to take some antibiotics. So it will be different depending on what's coming up. And then we also have to provide the body with the nutrients that it needs to create that anti-inflammatory response. So what that looks like from a dietary strategy would be things like your omega-3 fatty acids. It would be certain what we call phytonutrients. Um, the most I won't list them all, but I guess the most popular one is curcumin. A lot of people know about curcumin, turmeric, and how it has those anti-inflammatory properties. And then we also want to support the body to break down the immune molecules which have been created because if those pro-inflammatory molecules are there, they need to be broken down, they need to be detoxified, they need to be cleared from the body so that the, the tissue level or whatever's happening at the level of the tissue can go back to normal. And so what is important to understand is that even though we have this immune response that happens and then there's resolution of the immune response, that there can still be some changes in and around the tissue which need time and support to be resolved. It does make the body more susceptible to future inflammation. So if you know your right knee is always an issue and then you run a marathon and then you stop running and the pain goes away, if you were to run another marathon too fast or too soon, or you were to engage in more heavy training without really taking the necessary steps to support your body and allow it to heal and give it a break, you may notice that that knee injury becomes something which is chronic and needs more support to deal with. And the same is with you know different aspects of ourselves. So if there's been an infection in the gut, like somebody has food poisoning, and even though perhaps the bacteria or whatever caused the food poisoning has been removed, there are usually changes in the gut that stay after that bacteria has been removed by the immune system or by the body or by antibiotics. And that needs help rebalancing. And this is where we might sometimes see, for example, post-infectious IBS. People would get IBS symptoms after they've had food poisoning, which unless we change our diet and we support the gut, can actually sustain a really long period of time. 
also important for women, in particular thinking about women who've got endometriosis, which is the autoimmune condition which affects the endometrial lining of the uterus. If they've had trauma there, like laparoscopies, ablations, and various different treatments for the endometriosis, there's still a lot of immune activity, there's a lot of inflammation there, and that can also create more pain. So we really want to be thinking about even after the trauma has happened or the injury has happened or the immune reaction has happened, what else do we need to be doing to support the body to fully rebalance and to bring the immune system and that inflammation back in line? Got it. So it's a lot to take (laughs) on. But something really interesting that I wanted to talk about a little bit about the immune system without it getting too complicated is that many people don't know that our immune system ages over time. So as we move through life, we're producing a certain amount of immune molecules and these immune molecules have memory. So when they react to something, what we do is we develop what we call a memory cell. So the longer you live or the more that you react to stuff, the more that you react to, you know, different infections or stresses or traumas, the more memory we're building up in our body. And what then happens is there's not enough space, so to speak, for the immune system to react to new threats, which then makes the immune system weaker because we can't necessarily react to new things. And I think it's a generally well-known observation, should I say, that as we get older, our immune system is more susceptible. Like we know the elderly are more at risk for you know, getting the flu or getting pneumonia. And this is because the immune system has aged over time. Basically like all your software and your computer just getting so full without you actually clearing out your trash box. Exactly. That's exactly exactly what it's like. So there's no new memory to hold new space. Exactly. And so what we want to be able to do is we want to be able to clear out the trash. We want to delete all those old corrupted files, empty the recycle bin, reboot, and then our computers or immune system are going to function really, really well. So how do we actually do this in our lives practically? And this is essentially the journey that I've been on over the past six months is doing some of these practices which have been helping me to regulate my immune system. And one of those things is exercise. So that creates a really positive platform for clearing out the junk. We do have to be careful with exercise because some people may take exercise to the extreme. Like if you were to run a marathon every single week, <laughs> Shay, you'd die. <laughs> you would potentially be having a negative impact on inflammation in the body. So we want exercise at the right dose, like not too little, not too much, just the the Goldilocks amount, just right. Calorie restriction. So approximately 30% of calorie or energy expenditure, restricting calories to 30% of our energy expenditure can have beneficial effects long-term. So moderate, don't be greedy, don't eat too much. Fasting is another one. And this is something that I started to implement on a weekly basis is once a week, I do a 24 hour fast and I fast mostly 16 hours every day. In addition to that, you've also got the ketogenic diets, which can create fasting conditions, even in the presence of food. So if you're eating a high fat moderate protein, low carbohydrate diet, you can be in nutritional ketosis, which means that you can obtain some of the benefits of fasting. The other things that I've been doing personally is a little bit of phototherapy, which is essentially using light as a stimulus for the cells. So I do infrared sauna and I've been doing some red light therapy as well. 
We also have heat stress. So when you use infrared sauna, you get the heat stress. And previously I was also doing some cold therapy. So when the sea was nice and chilly down here in Bournemouth, jumping in the sea and doing some cold showers as well. So all of these things have an impact on our cellular health. They have an impact on our ability to sort of clear out that metabolic trash so that we are able to produce more cells which then regulate the immune system. And if we're regulating the immune system better, then we can reduce chronic inflammation and through that we can reduce chronic pain. Each week we get incredible feedback about our episodes of Kombucha and Color. We know our show is touching, inspiring, and helping hundreds of women, and we would like to reach even more. Can you help? You can help other women find the inspiration that you have found if you head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. If you screenshot your review and share it on Instagram stories or your Instagram feed tagging myself, Anna, Shay, or Kombucha and Color, we'll send you a wonderful restful yoga nidra practice to download so you can find some peace and calm in your day or a better night's sleep at night. Additionally, everyone who enters and leaves a review and shares it on Instagram will be put into a lucky prize draw to win a copy of my Beat the Bloat guide and Shay's yoga guide. You can love your body from the inside out with 174 pages, including over 100 pages of recipes, which walk you through my 28-day digestive reset process. This is perfect if you want to reset your body, address any unwanted health symptoms, or support your skin, hormones, energy, and digestion. Shay's 173-page yoga guide includes 116 pages of detailed pose analysis. It will give you all the tools you need to teach yourself yoga so you can sequence, practice, and flow safely in your very own home. Remember, all you need to do is go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, screenshot the review, and share it on Instagram stories or your Instagram feed tagging myself, Anna underscore Marsh underscore nutrition, Shay at Indie Yoga Life, or Kombucha and Color, Kombucha underscore and underscore color. Head on over and do that right now before you forget, and then your yoga nidra practice will be on its way. Is there a risk, or not a risk, I say, but is there any negative effect of doing more of the ketogenic diet, so the high fat, but then without reducing the carbs? Does that then make it like, oh, this is like not a way, because then what happens then? So carbohydrates stimulate the production of insulin and it's through insulin production that we take carbohydrate into our cells, but excess insulin production is associated with poor health. So the challenge with high fat and high carbohydrate together is we are burning through a lot of sugar because sugar is present. It's our immediate energy source. Our bodies are inherently kind of lazy. So whatever is ready and easy to use, we'll use it. It's kind of like if you had like a whole bunch of sugary buns in your house and you had the option, do I go to the shop and buy some salad or do I just eat these sugary buns? <laughs> You'd be like the sugary buns. Yeah, <laughs> I'll eat the sugary buns. And I, you'd walk to the shops, I know. I would walk to the <laughs> shop. eat the sugary buns. Because <laughs> I'm just weird like that. But it's kind of the same. But then if you're eating the sugary buns, what happens to the fat? 
it's got to go somewhere. And so then that's when it can create issues that you're burning through the sugar. So the fat is more likely to be taken to the liver, converted into adipose tissue. Then we're getting increasing body fat. And with increasing body fat, then we have this also increased inflammation, especially when that body fat is stored centrally. So then the more inflamed we become, the more insulin resistant we become, and then that perpetuates the cycle. So it's, you know, not necessarily everyone needs to do a ketogenic diet, but if you are experiencing pain or inflammation or chronic fatigue, it might be something that you want to look at in the context of your unique life and think about, am I regulating my blood sugar appropriately? Is this something that I need to address in order to bring my body into better balance, which is what I had to do. Yeah. Amazing. And so it wouldn't be a functional medicine podcast unless we talked <laughs> about the gut. So the gut. we have talked about the gut on previous podcasts. So I don't really want to go into it in massive amounts of detail. But what I do want to say is that our digestive health is so closely related to our immune system. And this was another blind spot in my own journey because I've done gut protocols. I've done many gut protocols. And I was like, it's not my gut. My gut is good. And I don't need to do the gut stuff because I've done the gut stuff. And that was very much my attitude. I really did need to do the gut stuff again, differently, better with the ketogenic diets. There is a mechanism which happens when the immune system can only react to things for so long. And sometimes it can get a little bit complacent. And I have reflected on this in the context of my own health journey, because I know from previous stool testing that I've done that I have, or I have had as it showed up in stool testing, an infection which is called C. difficile, which I think now on reflection of my own personal health timeline, I had a lot of surgeries when I was a young child. I also had a lot of antibiotics as a child. So I'm wondering if having a very high dose of antibiotics as a child, in addition to these surgeries, because see the infections often happen in hospitals, I picked up this infection. And it's something I have been living with most of my life. So at times, perhaps it has flared a little, and at times it has perhaps been dormant. This is just a theory. I don't necessarily have all the evidence for it, but I think perhaps what maybe happened with me is that when this infection was lying dormant, I just assumed that everything was okay. But what was happening was everything was not okay but that I just didn't have the symptoms. And so I often say just because you don't have gut symptoms doesn't mean you have a gut problem. And what was really interesting is as I started to make the changes with the ketogenic diet and take some supplements and do the different things to improve my energy and essentially improve the functioning of my immune system, clear out that hard drive and get rid of all the corrupted files, my gut flared like massively in the worst it has ever been probably across my lifetime. And the only explanation I can think for all of this is that my immune system finally decided it wanted to deal with this. And so it was interesting to just notice how that changed. You know, as I started to make these changes, it was almost like you move one thing and then something else moves and then you're trying to kind of find the right balance um, for everything. So we do always want to come back to the gut. And one of the main things I want to talk about relating to the gut Yes, you want to ask. I was going to ask, surely though, when you're changing your diet, you're changing the gut anyway, because Mm. you're changing what you're inputting to the gut. So surely they're not... 
that's totally true. So any dietary change will produce changes in the gut because our microbiome is reacting to the foods that we're eating. But I would say that that would normally happen within the first few weeks of any dietary change, whereas this came two or three months later. So it was almost like enough time for my immune system to really start like working well again. And then those symptoms came. But definitely, if you're making changes to your diet, you can also expect to notice changes in your bowel movements because there may be some things that you need to, especially if you're switching to a diet which is higher in fat, and if your fat digestion doesn't work very well, and thyroid health actually interestingly can be related to our ability to digest fats because it activates the gallbladder, then you may start to go on this ketogenic diet thinking that you're doing the best thing for your body. But if you can't absorb those fats, it's going to produce issues as well. So there's so many moving parts, but the only way you can move through it is actually just to begin and then deal with what comes up as it comes up. So Jumping back to this idea of the balance within the gut, one of the things I did just want to touch on is something which is called lipopolysaccharide, which we abbreviate LPS. And thank lip- goodness. Thank, <laughs> yes, thank, thank goodness for that. So lipopolysaccharide is a bacterial toxin which is produced by bacteria in the gut. So imbalances in our gut mean that we can be susceptible to producing this lipopolysaccharide. And then if the gut is leaky, which basically means if those the little cells which are supposed to sit so close together to form our gut membrane, if there's damage to the gut and those cells don't sit nicely together, that lipopolysaccharide can pass through into our bloodstream and it's very triggering for the immune system. But in addition to that, it's also interesting to understand that every time we eat a meal, we do experience some permeability in our gut membrane. So after you eat a meal, whatever it may be, big or small, doesn't matter what you put in your mouth, the permeability of the gut membrane changes for up to four hours after you eat. And so very often people will say to me, like every time I eat, I feel a bit like tired and sluggish for about two hours after. And sometimes people think, oh, you know, that's just the digestive system working a little bit harder to you know, manage the food that's coming in. But one of the reasons why that could be is because there's an increase in toxins or there may also be food sensitivities as well, which are then influencing the immune system, which means all the energy is going to the immune system and there's not enough energy going to your body brain. So really, really key thing for people to tune into is how do you feel after you eat? Because your diet should make you feel good. Your diet should make you feel energized. And if it's not, you might want to consider, you know, how balanced your blood sugar is, were there too many carbohydrates or sugars in that meal? Do you have an imbalance? Are there any lipopolysaccharides which are coming through into your bloodstream? Or are there some food sensitivities there? Are you eating some foods which your body is reacting to? Because all of these things can be triggering pain in the body and they can be triggering fatigue in the body as well. Brilliant. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Anna's looking at me like, say something. And I'm yeah, like, it's more just like for confirmation that I haven't completely confused you. Oh, you're with us? You're with us. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. And so I wanted to come back to that idea of neurodegeneration, which I mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, because these lipopolysaccharide molecules can pass through to the brain and they can activate the microglia in the brain, which are essentially the brain's immune cells and the macrophages or immune cells in the brain. And so this can trigger what is known as neuroinflammation. So inflammation of the brain, essentially, because the immune system is being activated. And so symptoms of this include brain fog, inability to concentrate, 
and this is an interesting one. So the inability to handle very stimulating situations, like we're like busy crowds, loud music, that feeling of overwhelm, which I think a lot of people experience. I feel like I take um, all of those boxes. Yeah. Like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Fatigue and poor endurance with brain activities. So I know for me personally, when I've been on this journey in the very early stages, I could only really sit at my desk for a couple of hours. And then I would start to just feel really, really like, just like foggy and gross. Whereas now as I've been doing all these practices, my mental endurance has increased. So I can actually do a full day of work. Some days are easier than others, but I can do a full day of work without feeling completely exhausted and having to go lie down in the middle of the day. But how much of that is potentially environmental? Because if you think of how much like social media is like this instant thing and it's like our attention span is anyway shortened, our concentration ability is anyway shortened because of this like fast paced in and out, like foggy brain, like, you know, are you tired just because of that tired and whatever? I don't know. Is how much of that is environmental? Yeah. And how much of what is not really normal are we just assuming to be normal? It's a really important question, but I think personally, so many people are living in poor states of health, but sweeping a lot of it under the carpet and just dismissing it as normal and just thinking, oh, well, everybody feels a bit tired and everybody feels a bit foggy and everybody finds it difficult to concentrate sometimes. And there may be a certain degree of that, but this is where I feel like, I don't want to say I let myself down, but where I feel like I missed so much because I swept a lot of this stuff under the carpet as normal. And I guess I actually feel very grateful that things got so bad. It led me to make the changes that I'm making now. And even though I'm not fully well yet, I feel like I'm caring for my body so much more than I ever have. Mm. The reason why I want to share all this information, and I know it's a lot, is because there may be people who are feeling like this and feel a bit lost and they don't know what to do, like this client I've recently started working with, or it's just kind of helping people to see maybe that like if they continue as they are, things may get worse. And then now is really the time to intervene. And you don't have to hit rock bottom like I did before you make some changes. And maybe this is the inspiration to do so as well. So what would you say if top three things for people, if they're feeling like, oh, actually, maybe some of these symptoms relate to me, maybe it's environmental, but maybe it's something internal that's going on. I would summarize as like, first of all, this is more environmental, but slow down. Check your sleeping and then have a high fat, low carb diet. Is that yeah. the main three things that you would say? Where I went in terms of the dietary route, and we actually talked about this on the previous podcast, and we talked about the ketogenic diet, was I just checked in with my blood sugar. So our neuronal health, the health of our neurons, our brain, our nervous system, is going to depend on oxygen delivery. Are we getting oxygen to the brain? It's going to depend on healthy amounts of glucose and it's going to also depend on the lack of inflammation. So that's looking at digestive health and those lifestyle practices. So from a dietary perspective, I just bought one of those little, you know, blood glucose monitors. You can get them probably from the pharmacy or just on Amazon. And I just sort of checking in on my blood sugar after my meals. And I've had clients do this now and picked up on a lot of imbalances with some of the clients I've been working with. But essentially that's a good place to start because this is a low hanging fruit. It's not going to cost a huge amount of money. It's not going to take a huge amount of time just to check in on your blood sugar and see what it's doing. Like we measured your blood sugar when, <laughs> when you came down for the marathon. That can be a positive starting point 
acquaintance terms of saying like, do I really need to work on my diet or not? Like, is my blood sugar reacting inappropriately for what I'm eating? Because sometimes just a simple dietary change to bring your blood sugar better into balance can really help you feel much more well. So definitely I think low hanging fruit is like, can I get enough sleep? Can I slow down? Can I just check on my blood sugar and see what's happening there? And what I'm doing more and more so with my clients is I'm getting them to go to their doctors and get a basic blood chemistry profile and a basic complete blood cell count. And from there, measuring their ferritin, their total iron and the percentage of saturation and TIBC. You don't really need to worry about that because it will all come together. But getting them to get some of the basic blood work done so we can see, do you have adequate B12? Do you have a need for folate? Do you have a need for iron? Because again, that's low-hanging fruit. These nutrients help to make our red blood cells, which is how we transport oxygen around the body. We need to get oxygen to our cells, not just our cells in our brain, but cells in our entire body so that they can function well. We make energy in the presence of oxygen. So again, really, really low-hanging fruit is just to check in. And if people go to the doctors and have these blood works done and tests done, do they need somebody like you, a functional medicine practitioner, to interpret it? Or is it something that the doctors will interpret and say, look, this is not good, this is good, or this is like something like, what is the process, a practical process for people to be able to do that if they want? So the difference between someone like myself and your regular GP is that we're looking for different things. Your GP is typically testing to diagnose a disease. So they're looking to say, you are anemic, you know, whether that's iron deficiency anemia or B12 deficiency anemia or whatever it is. So their reference ranges are broader, whereas my reference ranges are narrower because it's not within my scope of practice to diagnose disease anyway, but I'm not looking to diagnose disease. I'm looking to identify functional imbalance or levels which are below the optimal range. So when I get my clients' results, whether they've done it privately through a company like Medichex or if they're doing it through their GP, very often I will find things on their tests which aren't necessarily picked up on through the reference ranges, the traditional reference ranges. So when I did my functional medicine training, one of the things they said, especially when we did the energy module, was that if you're looking at iron, you want your iron levels, if there's any fatigue issues, to be greater than 75 so that means that if you go to your doctor and you are asking them for your blood test results and your ferritin is below 70, then I would say that you maybe want to look at how you can either supplement with some iron or get some more iron in your diet. We also want to consider digestion and absorption. So it comes back to the gut because these are minerals. We need to make sure that our food is being broken down and that we are digesting and absorbing the food that we're eating. So that's a whole other kettle of fish. But then, so say you go, now this may be a, a random question, but let's say you have your blood test done on Wednesday at eight o'clock and then you decide, I'm going to have like the juiciest steak on Tuesday PM. Does that affect the blood test result or is it like over a span of time? Surely what you eat in the last 24 hours before was like key to showing whether you've had like 500 grams of kale and half a bag of spinach. And then they're like, mm. oh, this is great. But then... So we also want to look at this in the context of your red blood cells. And so there are other markers that we would want to look at in your red blood cells. They have a life cycle of 120 days. So you know, eating your steak will give your body the nutritional resources to feed into that life cycle. But we would see a change based on the accumulative actions across a 120-day cycle. And bearing in mind that women, once every 30 days approximately, were losing blood. 
And that's why, you know, iron deficiency is much more common in women is because especially if you have a hormonal imbalance, which means you bleed a lot each month, this is something you definitely want to have on your radar. There was something else I was going to say there, but it's mainly just relating to like the B12 and folate. I think that's something also just to be aware of if you have a vegan or a vegetarian diet. And there are other markers that you would want to look at there not just the serum levels, because when you're looking at the serum, which is essentially the levels of B12 or the levels of folate in your bloodstream, it's not necessarily the best indicator of how your body is using those nutrients. So sometimes these tests can come up normal, but actually the tissue usage isn't as good as what it could be. And this is where there is a lot of value in having someone like myself go through your tests so that we can really iron out what's really going on because things get missed. Unfortunately, that's just the system that we're in at the moment. But, you know, some small changes can really make a big difference in terms of how you feel. Mm-hmm. So basically see the functional medicine practitioner before you need to see the doctor. Well, <laughs> see the doctor because they'll give you the tests for free, which is an amazing thing that we have with the NHS is that you can go and have a doctor's appointment for free and they will offer you medical testing for free. And in some cases, I might, do it. yeah, you should do it. And I'll look <laughs> at your results so we can discuss them on the show. It'd be amazing. Oh, fun. <laughs> this is the geek in me. But some of my clients will do private testing just because there's some things that the doctors won't do, like your T3 thyroid hormone. Some doctors are still a bit funny about testing for vitamin D. So sometimes my clients will pay just to get those markers included. But if your funds are low, if your budget is low and you'd rather invest your money, obviously, in having me look at those tests, then we do have the amazing NHS, which will give you those tests for free. And we can get a lot from a little. And the changes that you can make, which is, you know, maybe even just some small supplement changes and alterations in your diet and life style can really, really have a big impact on how you feel. Mm. I feel like I could keep on going on so much more, but I think that's actually a really great place just to kind of wrap things up because there's been a lot of information to take on board. Mm. So basically everybody to sum it up, notice and be aware of the difference between chronic fatigue and acute fatigue and see if you have any lifestyle changes that you could do. That's super, super low hanging. That's like fruit that's actually on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) It's already fallen off the tree. (laughs) Change your lifestyle if you need. And then low-hanging fruits, go and get your blood test done and just test your blood sugar levels after eating. And then if you need, then slow down, take some time to maybe adjust your diet, maybe adopting more of a fat, a high fat and low Mm. carb diet. And then get someone like Anna to look at any blood tests. Yeah. And actually just on that dietary front, plants, you know, oh. lots of colorful plants and maybe not too much of the carb heavy plants, like your potatoes and parsnips, butternut squash, you know, obviously you can have a little bit, but just really lots of color that keeps on coming up through all the stuff I learn is just lots of color so that those gut bugs are nice and happy and throwing a, a healthy little party in your gut as opposed to like some crazy psychedelic (laughs) sugar (laughs) faced. (laughs) I feel like I want to be at that party. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) There's a time and a place for everything. Sometimes you do need like a little bit of a sugar faced, right? Even I have one. I am a little bit human sometimes. And even (laughs) I have a little bit of a sugar faced party from time to time. 
Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing all your wonderful info with us. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Yeah, there's one more thing I want to say, if that's okay, is many of you will know that I launched my Beat the Bloat, which is my gut reset guide, which was December 2017. And I ran that as a group program, a large group program with support in January 2018 to guide people through this process of working on their digestive health and creating more balances. And I feel like now it's been two years since I created that initial product. And obviously I've learned so much more in that time. And people have been asking me more about this fasting and ketogenic diets and all of this stuff. So I have actually been creating Beat the Bloat 2.0, which will launch this December. So watch the space, but it will again be for a reset in January next year. So January, 2020, we'll sort of all do it together as a group and I can be there to support you and answer your questions. And that will include obviously all the information you need to know about digestive health, but I'm also integrating some more of what I've been learning about this pain, chronic fatigue, ketosis, fasting. So if anybody wants to give that a go under my watchful eye, then that's an opportunity. There's not really too much you need to know at the moment, but yeah, just keep watching the space. And if you're following me on social media or if you're on my mailing list, or I'm sure we maybe do another podcast on it closer to the time, there'll be more information about how you can get involved. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for bringing the science to the people. <laughs> always <laughs> we'll see you guys again soon have bye. a great week bye thank you for listening to another episode of kombucha and color if you have enjoyed or been inspired by our conversations today please leave a five-star review on stitcher or itunes don't forget to share with friends and family this will help other women find inspiration to live life bright We'd love to connect with you on social media. Come find me, Shay, by searching Shay Dyer Yoga on Facebook or Instagram. You can find me, Anna, by searching Anna Marsh on Facebook or Instagram. And remember, you can always refer to the links in the show notes. See you next week. Hi, it's Anna. Ever since I was a child, I wanted to study the power that food can have on our health. When I started practicing as a nutritional therapist a decade ago, I realized that what is just as important is the relationship that we have with food. This is very often a mirror for the relationship we have with ourselves. Through my own personal journey and health challenges, I was forced to dig deeper and understand things that go beyond just our physical bodies. I learned the importance of working with the whole person to create a balanced body, mind, heart, and soul. I'm now passionate about using my diverse toolbox to help women slow down, take better care of themselves, and ultimately cultivate a life which is a reflection of self-love. If you feel like this is speaking to you, I created a 43-page guide, Nine Steps to Love, Nourish, and Connect with Your Body to create an energized life with a happy heart and soul. You can download it for free and join my Grounded Goddess community for even more inspiration by visiting groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash nine, the number, hyphen steps. That's groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash nine, the number, hyphen steps, S-T-E-P-S. I'm looking forward to seeing you in the community.